In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us ready to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Um, so this chapter, we're continuing with Dorotheos, but um, uh, this, this chapter is shorter, um, but I think it's also one that um, is rightfully short because it's, it's almost obvious, but I think it's something that we, um, we forget or we take for granted. Um, and we don't recognize the things that have happened um, to ourselves. Sorry, I'm a little bit scatterbrained. It's been one of those days. But um, just to recap before we get into what he says with the conscience, and then um, depending on how long it goes, um, we can also um, do a Q&A, is that Dorotheos had started off, we had been discussing how um, man was created good, right? Humans weren't intrinsically bad. There's nothing wrong. Um, but it, things went wrong specifically by the way of choosing, right? That when we started choosing wrong or choosing wrongly, both choosing wrong and choosing wrongly, um, we became conditioned to choosing wrong, right? So you're saying that that's what went, what went wrong. And this is also really awkward because I feel like I'm talking to myself. But um, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, this is so awkward. Thanks, guys. Um, so he was saying that in the first chapter, renunciation, he was saying that the way to start to break free from this is to start um, renouncing my choosing, right? That's why his first chapter was on renunciation, right? It was saying, let me practice not letting myself um, choose. Hey, Sophia. Um and so if we, if we practice that, he says that our choosing um, the right becomes a lot easier, right? Um, like if you practice saying no to yourself. So those are exercises he gave where he was saying things like, you have an idea to look the other way, don't do it. Um, I actually was practicing it on the highway uh, earlier today where I was like, wait, what did that sign say? I'm like, I'm not looking. Um, there's nothing wrong with looking. It was just this, this practice of renouncing the, the will. Um, and then last week he was saying that this will help you develop humility of wisdom, right? Of saying, now when I start viewing myself um, as the standard, right? Um, then, um, sorry, apparently, if anybody can put on the Facebook, apparently I put the wrong link online. But um he said that that will make me not view myself as the standard. And when I don't view myself as the standard, um, it's easier for me to, to be humble with others. And he spoke about two kinds of pride and two kinds of humility. Um, and it was saying that it's so easy for us to migrate from this simple um, kind of humility. And I don't simple is the wrong word, but like just the way I treat others, a simple kind of pride to rebellion against God. Um, 
but then it's interesting to me that he chooses only then to start talking about the conscience okay um and the conscience is a tricky thing and i think we'll understand that when he um when he discusses it right now because i think humans sometimes mistake conscience for holy spirit um and vice versa and that we sometimes overly trust our conscience and that might seem like a good thing but it it, it can be a dangerous thing um and so this chapter is very short and he just gets right into it. So he says that when God created man, he gave, he gave him something divine. A thought, he says, a spark um, that he named both light and warmth. And I really like that he named it light, but we'll get, get to that. Um, that he says enlightens the mind and indicates to it what is good and what is evil. And this thing is called the conscience. So he's saying that actually the conscience started really good right? The conscience in its original form knew right from wrong. Um, and he said, then this is why, this is the natural law. And he's like, this is why there was people that before the written law could be governed by their conscience, right? He's like, the, the written law didn't come until Moses, right? But before that, people were, were basically going by their conscience. Um, and the law is what protected the people from evil. So clearly something went wrong um, with the conscience. Um, and so then the question becomes like, what's, what is it that went wrong? And he says that when men fell through sin, they buried it. They buried the conscience. They trampled upon the conscience, right? Um, and again, if you think of it as light, um, actually, he's going to give a cool analogy about that. But he says, that's why, because we trampled the conscience, because we just started doing whatever we wanted and we basically cornered it we don't like act like we don't have one he's like that is why we needed prophets right and that prophets were there to reveal and move the conscience so that buried spark can be ignited again right that now there's oxygen available to it now it can be reignited um, by the keeping of holiness right of the, of the precepts um so what does this have to do with us now he says it's now in our power, right? Us as members of the New Testament. It's within our power now to either bury it, we can still bury it, um, or we can allow it to shine in on us and illuminate us if we want to, right? And I, and I really like, again, this, this, um, the image of it being light, right? Because light is exposing things. That's why I think it, it, it tells you you're wrong. Right, because when you're sitting in the dark, you can have a cut, you have no idea. Right, you can be sitting in filth and have absolutely no idea. Right, it's only when you turn on a light that you can see. So, I, I, I like that he calls it light. So, he's saying you can bury it, you can still bury it if you want. Um, and he says that if our conscience speaks to us and we disdain it, we belittle it, we don't take it seriously, or we treat it lightly, or we ignore it then it's buried and it cannot speak clearly to us from the weight that lies upon it. And then he gives two, I think, really telling analogies. He says the first one is like, if you take, if you hang a lamp behind a curtain, right? I thought it was a really good way of looking at it. Then everything's still showing more darkly, right? And I, I, I liked it because it's, a conscience could have gone wrong but it doesn't mean that the conscience is actually necessarily 
completely dead, right? So there might be something luminous, but it's just that you're not seeing clearly. Said another way, you're not seeing purely anymore, right? You're not seeing things the way that they're meant to be seen. Um, and that I think might explain to you why your conscience is polluted, right? Why, why you might in good conscience, quote unquote, do something really wrong. It's because it's, it's behind a curtain. So you might think you're seeing because you're seeing better than if it was pitch black, but you're actually not fully seeing. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's where I went with it. But um, he's like, or it's like a person um, who can't recognize his own face in water, right? If you're looking into water and you're looking for your reflection back because it's filled with weeds, right? And so I really like want to tie that concept of clean conscience and purity together, right? Purity, not, not chastity, right? In the sense that an obscured conscience means you're not viewing things the way they're meant to be seen, right? It's why you can be like, yeah, I cussed him out and I, to I feel totally fine with that. And, and, and another person will be like, but how on earth were you okay with treating somebody so badly? Um, and their conscience views it differently. One's, one of them is in a more pure state. So he's saying sin makes us not understand what our conscience tells us, okay? To the point that it might even seem like we don't have a conscience at all. But he's like, but nobody lacks a conscience because it's, it's divine and it never perishes. Um, it can remind us of what's right, but if we, again, we trample it, then we don't feel it. And this is why we must struggle to preserve it, okay? Um, and I want to pause here and just say, like, this probably doesn't seem like rocket science because it's not. Um, but even though it's not rocket science, I don't know if we take it really seriously, right? So it's like, so many people will come either in confession or guidance or whatever and just be like, um, they'll feel stuck in something, whether it's a sin or an argument or their anger at somebody or they're attached to like a decision or a point of view or whatever it is. But because they don't see clearly, they don't, don't even recognize that their conscience is sick. So even though, even though it's not rocket science, so many people are so strongly affected by this concept and have absolutely no idea, right? And that's why the training of the conscience is, is so important. That's why it's so important to struggle to preserve it. If you don't pay attention to the small, as we're going to get into, um, you're going to fall into the big. And that's exactly where he goes with this. He says that if you ignore it in the small, at least the big. He's like, so for example, you might be like, what does it matter if I say this word or eat this thing or look at this or that? And he says that will lead to, well, why does this concept, insert whatever it is, even matter at all? Right? Then he says you start a bad habit and then you don't care about what's big or important, hardening in the evil. Right? Um, think about anything that you do today. Any bad habit, any sin, any anything you're addicted to. And in your mind, go back in a mental history and ask yourself, where did it start? 
right? Because it was probably something, probably, statistically speaking, something that came off originally as trivial, right? Of being like, think about whether you fast strictly or not. And, and maybe you used to, maybe you used to fast Wednesday or Friday, or maybe you'd never allow um, dairy or modified milk ingredients or whatever your thing is like with, with, with fasting, right? Think about it when you were strict and when it stopped. Because even that, if we use that as an example, usually we'll start being like, man, it's just no big deal. Like, hasal khair, right? Like, it's no big deal. God's not going to freak out. God's not going to be upset, right? And like, whatever. Then that small thing becomes okay, right? Where it's just like, yeah, whatever. It's like, it's just cheese, right? And then to Dorotheus's point, then it becomes what's the big deal about dairy anyway right like why why dairy why are we anti-dairy right and you might even get sarcastic about it and be like yeah we're just you know we like to torture ourselves right and like we're masochists this coptic church and like like forget this right and then it becomes well what's the point of fasting this doesn't do anything for me right like all it is is food right? This is not stopping me from doing anything else. So I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah, you guys go ahead and fast, right? Then when you're like, what's the ability of fasting, then you actually never have any exercise. I'm, I'm using hyperbole on purpose, but not really, right? Then your exercise of self-control isn't there, right? And then your ability to say no in general, you have never been willing to accept a training. Your conscience has been dimmed, right? So this is not my plug for fasting. Um, but my point is that anything that you, you've changed in, right? Even, um, forgive me for, for getting explicit, but like a lot of people like sexually, forgive me, right? It'll start off being like, no, 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 we're pursuing this, but we care about purity. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that, et cetera. Right. And it's like, it's no big deal. We're just, we're just holding hands. It's no big deal. We're just kissing and it, and it escalates. It's, it's because you're bearing the alert to that voice that's saying, maybe don't, right? Maybe be careful. Maybe this isn't right, right? And that's what Dorothea is trying to say, is that you, you're, you're going to go that route. On the flip side, he also says, not just in the negative, virtues also start with the small, not just to be like, all my bad comes from the small bad things I do, but he's saying, but your great good things also come from the small good things you do too, right? So if you develop a good habit, even if it's small, it will lead to bigger good things, right? Where it's just, okay, no, no, I'm good at saying no to myself, so I'm not going to struggle with this, right? Or I've practiced not speaking when I shouldn't, and therefore not gossiping is not a struggle for me, right? Because I just, I just practice not talking when I don't need to. Um, and as we're saying, these things, everything leads to the other. So then he goes into um, one of my favorite parables from Christ, um, where he says, your conscience is your accuser. Okay. Um, and he, he quotes when the Lord says, um, make peace with your accuser on the way, right? Lest he deliver you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and you be cast in prison. Um, and they will exact from you 
everything you owe in the in, in the parable, right? So he says, let's look at three lessons. There's three things that you need to preserve your conscience towards, towards God, towards others, and then towards generally what he called things. Um, and he spends the most time on things. And I was like, what are the things? But anyway, um, he says, first, if you preserve your conscience towards God, it means that you don't disdain God. You don't belittle God. And I really want to emphasize that he's using the word disdain on purpose. Because if I put myself above someone or, or something, I am belittling them. Right? Imagine if you tell somebody like, hey, I get really upset when you do X. Right? My intentional doing of X is saying, that's nice. I don't care about you. Right. Whether you mean to or not, that's that's what it means. Right. That I'm not even trying at the very least. Right. To not do it when you when you told me it bothers you. So he's saying that by going against how God made us, we're disdaining God. Right. And so he says that this means even in secret, even if something's not asked of you. Right. So he might say someone is he says someone might be lazy in prayer. Or a bad thought entered his heart. If that person does not oppose the thought or oppose the laziness or try to restrain himself, but just accepts. Or if that person sees his neighbor and judges him and doesn't even try not to. You're not preserving your conscience. Right. So he's, he's, he's giving you like the tools. Right. And so it's like, do you just because somebody can't see it, that's like even the sins of the heart. Are you struggling, right? When you get angry, are you quick to rebuke yourself and say, I should not be angry, right? If you, like, in your, in your mind, judge someone to death, are you at least your mind being like, whoa, what is this thought that I'm having? And what he's suggesting is that if you don't, your conscience is very weak, Right. And that's what I'm saying. I don't think everybody realizes that like, it's not rocket science, but I don't think people realize how weak many of our consciences, including myself, are where we don't even alert anymore to something wrong is happening. Right. Where it's just like we just take it, accept it. Next thought. Take it, accept it. Next thought. Right. Let alone the things we actually do um, physically. Towards others, he says that we have to try as far as is possible not to offend or tempt our neighbor by deed or word or appearance or a glance. He says, nobody should do anything at all that that person knows to have the intention of offending their neighbor or defiling the, con or, or you are defiling the conscience, right? I don't know that most of us exercise that self-restraint or even that thought right at least not in a christian way i think we often do politically we're very worried about offending people politically right of whether i say the wrong thing whether this is culturally sensitive whether this is going to get me um, in trouble etc cetera, etc cetera, right but do i think when i'm dealing with others am i belittling them am i upsetting them Am I forcing my way on them? Am I saying my way or the highway? Like there is so many ways that we do this. And so then 
people will have the most explosive fights where if their conscience pricked them just a little, right, they would have been started off being like, why am I combative towards this person? Why am I being an aggressor towards a person? Why am I intentionally trying to force my way on a person? Right? It's, it, it'll, if you, if any of us does that, any one of us does that, it changes the tone of everything right away. Right? Think of anybody that you know, like, like even yourself. If you come in heated and then just pause and say, why am I being heated towards this person? If your own tone doesn't change just by having that thought. Right? It was just like, okay, no, 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 let me ask this calmly. It might be okay to ask. Right? But are we keeping a clear conscience towards others? And I think that's also why um, Dorotheos is going to have, but it's a little bit later in the book, a whole chapter on self-accusation right? There's these exercises that help us bring our conscience to some place of examination, right? That we're, so that we're not just blah, like full out verbal diarrhea. But the one that we might not have been expecting and he spent the most time on is preservation of conscience towards things. And he says, this means not having a careless attitude toward anything, right? So he's giving you the exercises. He's saying the concept and giving the exercise, right? He says, if something is thrown out, we should be reverent even if it's worth nothing. We should pick it up and put it in its place, which sounds so random, right? Where it's like, okay, like a book fell off the shelf. He's like, don't just leave it. Have the meticulousness to say, let me pick that up and put it in its place. And this is going to go somewhere. I'm not going to uh, right away on that. He says, with clothing. He says, and I didn't understand this at, per, at first because clothing issues were different back in the 5th century. Um, he says that a person might wear their garment for a week or two or a month and wash it prematurely. Apparently in those days, if you wash it prematurely, it could make it unusable. Um, so he goes, so imagine, he was like, he goes, if, if you could have worn that, for five months or longer, right? Then your conscience should prick you to the fact that you're wasting. It should prick you to the fact that you're not giving things reverence, that you're not thinking about others, what things mean, what things cost, right? Again, it's an exercise of pulling you out towards gospel to think about other, not to think about yourself, right? This one, I was like, this is interesting, especially if you're talking to monks. A person might be satisfied with a single pillow, okay? But yet another person might seek a large bed. Or he has a rough shirt and he wants a different one, or a new one, or an elegant one. And why? For vainglory or for excessive comfort. And just saying, does your conscience prick you? Do you think about it? That's what he's trying to get at. He's not spending time to say, because this is so bad, right? He's not even going there. just saying, but do you even think about that? Does it cross your mind that you're being lavish? Does it cross your mind that you're being contemptuous? Does it cross your mind that you're being wasteful? Right? Do these things even strike you? He says another person has a blanket, but it wants a different, better one. And then he'll argue if he doesn't get it. Um, or another person like, how come I don't have that? Right? He's saying all of this is because your, your conscience has become so um, weak. And actually, Dorothy was funny. He was like, that guy's just immature. 
Um, he's like, or let's say you put your clothes out to dry in the sun on a clothesline. And then because you're so lazy, he's like, your conscience should prick you. You're too lazy to go just take it off the clotheslines. It got ruined in the sun and now you have to throw it out. He says, same thing with food. If someone could be fine with vegetables or lentils and olives, but instead seeks food that is tastier or better, that your conscience might be weak, right? So again, he's not saying, as he ends there, like to him, it's like, okay, that's obvious. Um, but it's because it's going to lead him into another concept of fear of God. But what I wanted to, 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 to dwell on, on, on it was to say, like, do any of us think about that? Right? Like, we have a, a tant, um Artusoni at my, my home church that would freak out if we wasted food. Right? I, I never thought about whether it was a waste or not. It's just like, nobody wants any more. Like, toss it. Right. Like, like it does it, it like my conscience is weak in that regard. Right. I, it doesn't even remotely register. Right. Whereas a person who is always thinking about others is thinking, well, but that's not right. That's not a right use of food. In other words, she sees food, food purely. She sees food as what it's actually for. Right. Her conscience isn't polluted in that regard. Right. If your conscience is not well formed towards people's will. You're not going to have a problem trampling upon other people's will. And so it won't even strike you that you are demanding of everyone other than yourself. Right? And so suddenly, like, you could be monopolizing everything and it hasn't even crossed your mind that you do. And instead, just like he says, you'll have this contempt where you'll be like, what is wrong with everyone? I said I want this. Why are they not complying? And it won't even strike you how ridiculous that sounds, right? Whereas if someone else did it and came in being like, hi, my will, please, you'd be like, who do you think you are, right? But if your conscience isn't developed, you won't even see it, right? You won't even, it won't even, it won't make, it won't register on the map, right? And so... I wanted to ask you guys some questions because, again, it was a short chapter, um, like just as an application type thing. Um, based on the concept of a conscience, like I'll throw out random questions um, in a lump for this one. What is wrong with somebody trespassing if nobody cares? What's wrong with jaywalking? if nobody cares? What's wrong with taking a piece of candy without asking at somebody's house if nobody cares? What's wrong with off-roading illegally if everyone's okay? What's the big deal when things are so insignificant? Like, can someone take a, a jab at that? Because I'm trying to, I'm not, I don't think I'm well articulating like this to me are examples of things that he would have said. This is where your your conscience really matters. Anybody go for it. Please don't make it awkward. <laughs> Peter, I'm going to pick on you. Yikes. Hello. Yo. 
<laughs> um, I'm, now, I'm, because I'm on the spot, I'm going to be speaking out loud. Um, <clears throat> I suppose, I mean, that. I was just thinking when you're asking that question, I mean, that's a perfect way to frame where the conscience comes in. Like, that's like the inner voice that develops when no one else is pricking you for something that you do. Like, you know, if you're always used to, really stupid example when you're young, you're always used to your parents telling you, go study, go study, go study. And then they stop telling you all of a sudden. Nobody else is telling you. Nobody's watching you. Nobody's really holding you accountable. And you don't study. It's because you don't have an inner voice or inner accountability to study. So I guess that's where you're kind of hinting at that. Like you have these externals and you act good because people care and because there's social pressures on you to act in a certain way. <clears throat> but as soon as those social pressures go away, you develop a sense of like moral uprightness, moral accountability, that even if nobody else cares, you still have this image of yourself. I'm also thinking about like the psychological development, which I'm, I don't know if that's maybe just completely out left field, but Freud talks about like the id, the ego, the super ego. One of the developments in the psyche is that you have at a certain point when you're older that you actually have a image of yourself or moral, like a, you, you hold yourself accountable to some kind of standard. And if you don't do that, you actually disapprove of yourself even if nobody else is saying anything. So I think that's somewhat related to the conscience. I don't know, I'm just spitting out thoughts. No, I think that was well said. Um, two people responded in writing, so I'll read out what they, what they said. One person said, well, if the policy behind the rule doesn't apply, the rule doesn't apply. So there's maybe a rule against jaywalking for the sake of safety. But if it's on an empty road with clear visibility and safety isn't a concern, um, then jaywalking should be okay. At least that's my internal justification for bending the rules, right? And I think that's making the point that um, that Dorotheus is trying to say is the opposite of saying, if I have a conscience towards others, right, then it doesn't matter how I internally justify, right? So it, it'll it'll be, I have a, I have a care for what uh, how others view the thing. So if there's no conflict with gospel, right? Then my conscience should prick me, right? So if if the gospel says honor the authorities, Messan, right? Then there is a question of okay, then do I care about that? If I didn't, right? Then he's saying that I will slowly view myself above other things, right? Because then I've also decided how and what a policy is for, right? Like to use the fasting example, then it'll be like, okay, I mean, they don't want me to have a gun because they're worried. I'm, I'm, I'm using hyperbole on purpose because that's his point. They don't want me to have a gun because they're worried I might use it in this way. I won't use it in that way, right? But I, I, it'll, 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 it'll escalate. Um, another person wrote um, to say, um, when no one cares is a slippery slope, then what? What if five people care and billions don't? Do those five matter? And who decides if they matter or not? And so on and so forth. Um, no, that's exactly my point. I do agree, right? Of that saying that if we don't honor, I was trying to use random normal examples to say many of us, our conscience wouldn't prick us 
but it should, right? Like if I have a highly developed conscience, I should feel guilty, right? Of saying like, why, why do I see myself as above this, irrespective of how anyone else feels or irrespective of the law? Because the law theoretically is a reflection of society. I don't mean to get hypothetical. Um, but I was trying to use examples that seem quote unquote benign um, of things that that if our conscience is very strong, we should probably flinch at least, right? And be like, I don't know that I should that I should do that if it didn't at all. Here's another question. What duties do we have towards each other? Do I owe anything to anyone? Anybody go for it. Even if you want to use a make up an, an analogy, go for it. But do we do we have duties towards one another? Sam, can I pick on you? Hold on, uh, let's unmute Sam. Sorry, Sam, I meant to unmute you and I think you unmute at the same time. There we go. Okay, sure. Um, I actually have a curveball. I was thinking about with your last example. Okay. So I, I think with like, um, like the jaywalking thing, I feel like, um, I, I think it's easy to justify because if you understand the purpose, then you can like justify the purpose here is not applicable. You know, if it's, there's nobody for miles and you're in a desert road or something. Um, and I'm going to use an example. You can either correct my, um, train of thought if I, if I have a false uh, assumption or tell me how I should view it. So I recently realized or came to a, um, or a realization that there might be some like, so our church is like we're an Arab church where there's Arab influence and in some of the things we do. And I, 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 I think I found one where I never realized that in the burning bush um, hymn, at the end of it, uh, so the whole burning bush symbolism of St. Mary, great. But then at the end of it, the last line is, carried the fire of divinity, but her virginity was not like touched, which is not the point of the burning bush like um, allegory and symbolism. Like the point is that she carried God the incarnate and was not consumed by him in the way that like people in the Old Testament touched the ark like they died, like same way they didn't die. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, hey, is this, uh, is this like, you know, not so great Arab influence on our theology and our hymns? So I, I guess, you know, when I realized that I kind of came down strong and saying, okay, you know, there's an asterisk on this hymn. Like how, how do I, in a clear conscience, um, like, recognize maybe some of the things we do like where i don't know things may, may not may be a misinterpretation or you know in like this example like peter did you want to say that because i know peter's a hymns guy if you want to say something go ahead uh, i was just going to add i mean it's fair it's a fair assessment because they're like you have to be critical in the sense of um 
you have to sift through our hymnology, our rights, and just make sure that Arab, because we, we live among Arabs, right? We live in an Arab country, no doubt about it. Um, so it's it's fair to be, um, I don't know if critical is the right word, but to, you know, just to ask questions and to see what, what is that, what, what things could have been influenced by the Arabs or not. I think on this particular point, though, not necessarily because um, the emphasis on virginity isn't something that's particularly Islamic. Um, the, and you do get both symbolisms in the hymn, and you do get fathers who talk about both. So I think on that particular point, um, maybe not, but I, I, I guess I see your I see the concern in general. I'll, I'll give it off to one for the rest of that. I'll actually flip your example um, back to the conscience issue. I was saying that you're actually making the point about jaywalking, right? That in your in your in your view of the hymn, whether right or wrong, I'm not I'm not good with hymns, but um, in your view of the hymn, right or, or wrong, is there's an assumption about what the meaning is for and why we're doing it, etc. Right. And so then therefore there's this implementation based on what you said, and you immediately, your reaction was I'm putting an asterisk. Right. And so what, what Dorotheus is saying is that that's what you do when you jaywalk is that you've decided the interpretation of why the law is there and did it. So like my argument is not even about the intrinsic rightness or wrongness of something per se. I think that affects things as much as he's saying, but what's your mode of thinking? If your conscience is being developed towards God, others, and things, right, then said almost differently, it's like you're, you're putting yourself in a humble spot of just saying, let me not put anything myself above anyone else, right? Um, even if it's an object, even if it's a thing, even if it's a rule, right, of just saying, do you carelessly just go forward to it right because the question about jaywalking would be regardless of what the law was for is there a law because if i start presuming that this law is not worthy of being followed because in this context it's useless right which is what most of us feel right then why am i choosing to follow another law that someone else views as useless Right. And so he's saying to practice holding your conscience towards things, which is say, regardless of how I feel, have I put that in consideration? Did I think about that? Did I at least pause before breaking the law? Right. Because I'm not trying to get into the bit of whether it, the, the law makes sense as much as is my conscience healthy? Because if my conscience is healthy, then I'm just unaskingly boom, 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 boom. Right. Or maybe another question might be like, before I bring up any conversation in a room, that's what I'm saying, I think we're more sensitive to this. Do I think about how it might affect other people? Right? Because I can talk about it. I can justify why I talk about it. I can come up with a really good reason for I want to talk about it. But what he's asking is not about, is it a good topic? That's, I mean, that's not where Dorothy is going with it. He's saying, did I pause and have that thought? Right? Did I did I think about how I might affect my neighbor um, in 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 the room or not? Nam, go for it. Um, 
I, 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 I'm, I'm going to go on, on, a, on a little bit of a, um, a controversial um, take, and I've, I've been thinking about this for the past few months. Um, I think that the root of uh, our, I guess you could say, our conscience being a little deviant or tainted in a sense is the fact that uh, like this idea of, of opinions reigning over facts I guess, or diluting certain facts, inalienable facts, and and um, I I think that we 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 tend to sometimes because of our autonomy or because of our free choice, we tend to inadvertently make uh, decisions just kind of like on on the on on a whim, and we uh, exalt our opinion over certain things. Like I've 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 actually had like a, a few weeks ago. I was actually very surprised, but I had, we had like a youth meet, meeting and um, a lot of people were asking very, I guess for me, it wasn't like, you know, it was just kind of like a, a no brainer. People were, were talking about what is the church stance on, on, uh, is it pro-choice or pro-life? And I was just, I was like, wow. Um, but, and it was like a servant, it was a servant meeting. And I was just, I was just very surprised. But the, the point that I'm trying to make like overall is the fact that we kind of, we, inadvertently have made our opinion or like whatever you say goes or like what is your perspective like it's always about like asking what the other person thinks rather rather than finding out what it actually is and the problem of it i, I guess and to, to quote a secular uh person uh that I, I admire personally jordan peterson he said any anything that you do and don't do has a consequence whether you do it or you don't you like you just get to pick the poison so that like there are two poisons, quote unquote, which is you either follow the law of God and maintain that hierarchy and then undergo that suffering, which ultimately leads to our betterment, or we follow the other uh, point, which leads to uh, ultimate chaos because everyone is God at that point. I think you've, you've hit the, the bullseye, whether intentionally or not, in the sense that if we go back to the start, Dorotheus was saying, What's killed the conscience is improper use of will, right? Like, which is all that sin is, right? And, I, and, 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 and that's what I'm trying to get with it is I don't think that we're realizing that it's our choosing, right? And that's, I think, why he said God, others, and things, right? Of just saying, am I loving rightly, right? Am I choosing? Is my decision in the right direction? Because if so right, then I'm, my conscience is going to be very alive because I'm worried about whether I'm choosing my neighbor over myself, whether I'm choosing God over myself, whether I'm choosing creation over myself, right? So that's why I think to him, it's a no-brainer. Like, I was, I was surprised at how short this chapter is. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Um, because it's like, it's just like this rational consequence, right, of saying that once I'm okay with doing something wrong, I no longer think that it's wrong, and that's why everything becomes optional, right? Um, so like someone wrote here, I, I, I hear what you're saying, I agree. Where do you draw the line between oppression and the law? For example, if somehow it came to pass that women could no longer own property or something random like that, when do you say this is the law obey versus no, something is wrong here? Um, actually, uh, um, that does connect to what we're saying because here I would say that the person exercising the law may not have had a healthy conscience if this is a Christian executing the law. And in, 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 uh, like, 
if, if it's a secular society, then it's going to be based on public morality um, on some level. But if it's a Christian, I'm just making up for the hypothetical. If it's a Christian nation, right, and a Christian writes that law, I would argue that that Christian might have a, a faulty conscience, right? Because the question, if a Christian was making the law, is is this in compatibility with holiness, right? Because once I'm choosing against holiness, that's what that's what dulls my conscience. That's why I just don't have a have a sense of anything, right? It's like in Vancouver. Um, the Vancouver City Council already moved a proposition. I don't know if it passed about uh, uh, decriminalizing all illicit drugs, right? So to Dorotheos, it's like, yeah, of course, right? Like ob obviously, once you allowed this one, of course, you must eventually get there, right? Like that becomes a, like a spiritual no-brainer. But I'm choosing random examples to say I don't think we think about it in the so-called small things. But what he's trying to get at is that if you ignore the small, right, then it then it becomes um, big. So again, what what duties do you think that we have towards each other? Anyone? Um. Uh, I I I would I'd like to um think that um everything that we do is in one way or another kind of affects um other other people in the sense that um and again i'm gonna quote uh jordan peterson and saying that we if, if i uphold myself or if i am uh thoroughly responsible for myself i am indirectly being responsible for others um and so in that sense like like I'm when I do my part, I'm 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 not only doing it just for my part, and it's not like a, in in a sense of like kind of being self centric in this in a way, but kind of looking at it as like I am part of something even greater than myself, um, and um, definitely one hundred percent we're we're responsible for each and every single person outside of us, but then that also begins with ourselves. Um, like when I achieve peace, I become kind of like the domino, if I become the starting point of the domino effect towards other people achieving peace in their life. Like when I'm a part of their life, I emanate the peace that Christ has given me. And so it becomes like a, it, it's kind of like a domino effect and, and, um, 100% we're, we're responsible for each other, but then it always starts with ourselves. And I think that the problem becomes when all of us are kind of like busybodies, kind of fixating on other, on other people but really like true understanding of responsibility to others is when we're responsible to ourselves peter you're gonna say something it's about that um i'll add to that and say that um the, the, like the focus on i mean i've, I've heard from several abunas and i find it quite true that when you repent your, when you see sins outside yourself, it's usually that's to, to learn to repent or to, to find in what way you can better yourself rather than expecting others to change. 
And I think um, there's a sense of communal repentance in just that act of repentance. And rather than blaming other people and separating yourself as like um, a prosecuting attorney, you see the other person, identify with them and repent of the same sin in some other way, in some other domino effect, however you may have contributed to the sin, in whatever uh, shortcoming or flaw you might have. And I think that goes back to the verses when you're saying that we have a duty for one another is love your neighbor as yourself doesn't simply mean love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, but literally love your neighbor as you, that you are, he is a member of you. You're a member of him, part of one body. So to love the other person is to, when you lie to the other person, you're lying to yourself. When you hurt the other person, you're hurting yourself. So it, it, like, and it, it goes both ways. Working on yourself means you're bettering other people around you, acquire a spirit of peace and thousands around you will be saved. And at the same time, treating others with love and respect means you're also treating yourself with respect. So that just really spoke to me when you're saying that. Thanks for sharing it. Well said. And I, I'm wondering, like not to bring it to the trivial because what you guys said is pretty deep, but... Um, do you think about when you get angry in front of somebody that you're offending your neighbor? Like, do you feel that responsibility of saying, I just made it okay for others to see this? Let's say it's, it's, it's kids. Let's say at church, I threw a tantrum, right? Did I, does my conscience even prick me to say I was an offense to others? Others saw this behavior. Or, or am I so quick to be like, of course I was angry. Didn't you see what happened? But a healthy conscience would, would be thinking, oh my goodness, who have I offended? Right? Like, oh my goodness, is I, I, I did not act even remotely Christian myself. I'm calling out a so-called unchristian behavior and behaving unchristian towards that person. Right? Think about it in terms of the pandemic, just because it's, it's, it's a good example not to, and I, I, I genuinely don't want to touch the politics of it, but the debates about vaccination, I'm not debating about what's right or wrong, but the narrative that was, that was being discussed, the underlying things that people were upset about was, do I owe others anything towards public health? Right? That was part of the debate right? Do, should I get vaccinated for the sake of others? And again, I'm not talking about whether that's right or wrong. I'm simply saying that even society had a conscious, a conscience about that topic, asking that question of, are there things we owe each other? I'm not talking about whether it was right or wrong, right? But just saying that, but do I have that sense from the gospel? Does my conscience bother me? Forget even just at church. If I'm at work, right? If I'm at, at school, if I'm somewhere, do I think, wow, what I just did might have really affected somebody, right? Like it's, it's, it's those kind of questions. We do, the gospel says that we owe everybody everything. Um, whereas I don't know that we live that way, right? Like the gospel says, give, 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 give. And so my conscience should prick me. Um, it should prick me if I'm not doing that. Nam, go for it. I think um, we, we've we've definitely touched upon it uh, uh, a few. I think two weeks ago, um, where we said, I think that the the society does like a very, I don't know if it's intentional. I do not know if it's intentional, but 
like there's just like this there's a slight mind game trick where it's like uh, we grow up thinking that we're, we're like we're, we're, we're taught to like to do things for others like and i'm pretty sure it's the same in the coptic society as well but like i've grown up uh, being told that i have to care for everyone else i have to do everything for so i grew up in the mindset that i have to do this not because it's right not because not doing that is has its own ramifications but rather because of fear like fear for uh, from the people like what would they say about me like uh, so like it, it's 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 um society kind of uh flips that narrative right and then it says that like you're you're your own person and you can do whatever it is that you want and the, but then when you do that you create an even greater like issue uh, situation that you you don't even you, we can't even begin to like uh, think about or understand because of like the, the complexity and that, how it manifests and everything but um i think that ultimately we have to understand like to, to what i said earlier about like responsibility to ourselves it has to come from understanding what the truth is and then applying it uh to our lives that we uh do that like so that we can reflect that unto others so like to what you said Abuna, um if we do that which is right it has to be because we know that it's right and we one we we have that desire to apply that which is right not because of others because the moment that we do that we we can also argue saying oh why why would we care about other because we shouldn't we we shouldn't care about what other people say but rather like acting upon that which is true and not being uh unapologetic like tr like about actual truth that that is christ and right. so i think that 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 uh what's it called that uh separation needs to be made between um just kind of truth that is christ and then um individual like kind of what i believe in and then just kind of acting upon it and my yeah right. just wanted to... well and 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 the truth being christ is is the most key point there because that's why dorothea started off by saying that's keeping your conscience healthy towards god Right is recognizing that I owe it to God to do what's true, and in and doing what's true towards God, it means treating my uh, treating others in a particular way. Um, someone asked, "Can you speak to the expected difference between the conscience of a moral and virtuous non-Christian and the conscience of a Christian who has the Holy Spirit?" Yeah, one's real, one's not. Um, and by that, um, I I don't mean to be aggressive, but what I mean is, I had this discussion once with an atheist. I'm like. He's like, I can be a good, a good person um, and not be a Christian and, not, or, or, and, and be an atheist. Um, and I told him, actually, you, you can't. You can't be a good person. At least you can't call yourself a good person. I can call you a good person, but you, you can't. I go, actually, almost any theist could call you good or bad if they wanted, but you wouldn't be able to. Um, in the sense that to what Naeem was talking about, if you don't believe in an objective right or wrong, you can't call something good or, or, or bad unless you're acknowledging that you've completely made up the ruler, right? Only in the, in the, in the existence of a straight line can I define a curve, can I define direction, can I do something? There needs to be something like a, a line that's, that's there, which is for us is the so-called law, right? Holiness. Um, 
is that when we're saying something is wrong, we're saying wrong relative to goodness, goodness being a person being Christ, right? And so the person might be virtuous. That's what I'm like, I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't possess a good quality. I'm just saying that they would not be able to assess it or know it. They can make it up and hence the law. That's why secular law changes, right? It can say that it's illegal to do one thing one day and call somebody a criminal for doing it. And at another point in time say, no, it is not criminal because it's, 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 it's relative, it's subjective, it changes, right? So I'm, what I'm not saying is they never do anything good. I'm just saying that they can't define good. Right. So the Christian that is acting according to the, to the Holy Spirit is trying to align with what's objectively right, what's objectively true, not to a random standard. Right. And that's why and I'm going to link it to the other question that's written here um, when it says, why do you think Dorothea spoke about the conscience rather than about the Holy Spirit, given that one of the Holy Spirit's rules in our lives is to rebuke us is because the conscience is a reflection of my will. And, and the Holy Spirit is trying to help me align my will with what's right, with what's objectively right, right? And that's what makes all the difference. Right and wrong to the theist is not arbitrary, nor is it just a vote on what we think is collectively expedient for society, right? That, that's irrelevant to us. Right. We might think it is it is it is collectively expedient um, to murder 30 percent of the population because there's not enough food. Right. That, that could happen. But an objective right is saying that's not even an option. Right. If there's no objective right, it becomes a vote. How are we making a decision about whether it's a good idea or not? And then it's a free-for-all, right? Somebody might say, okay, well, the numbers, another might say the resources, another might say, but this is maybe more merciful because what kind of existence is it to be living in starvation? And another person will come up with some other, you can go wherever you want, right? But my will, if it's not aligned to light, that's something I like that he called it that, the Holy Spirit, God, right? Then it's weak, then my conscience um, becomes uh, weak as well. Um, the are there any comments or questions about that? There's two questions. Um, I don't think we need to go hardcore into the into the Q and A. There's only two questions online um, that are not related to this. So if there's somebody who had something related to this first, then we can do that and then take a look at the other uh, two questions. Okay. Uh, one of the questions is, is it accurate to say that Adam and Eve had a closer relationship with God than us, even though they never ate from the tree of life, which we eat in communion? Um, no, I don't think it would be accurate to say that they have a closer relationship. Um, they had a potentially, I don't even know if I can say this as a fact, potentially different relationship um, than us. Uh, closer, I, 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 I wouldn't say so. Um, we're in full communion with God. We have the ability to be in full communion with God. Um, the kingdom is within us and it's here and it's coming and is now. Um, so I, I don't think that, that there is a, a disadvantage or 
necessarily an advantage because everything that they had access to, we now do too. Um, we're able to have that. Ma'am, go for it. Um, so I, I was reading uh, this one book um, and I've, I've come to understand that uh, a lot of times the way that we evangelize is kind of like a, a sales pitch in which we are like, okay, you have a problem. You're on your way to, you know, damnation. And so how do you solve that problem? You believe in Christ and then Christ will offer you the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually that's, that's how we, we, we elaborate. And so like in the point and the topic of today of, of conscience and understanding what, what true really is, we, we see that Christianity is just m- much, much uh, deeper and, and much truer than just, you know, plain truth that we just kind of talk about uh, on a daily basis. And how can we, how can we evangelize or how can we uh, live in a way that, um, how can we evangelize in a way that others understand that, that like that truth, that like metaphysical truth that, that is like essential to reality, not just the confines of the church and just coming to church every time, like every, like every aspect of our being is, uh, affected by that, by what happened on the cross. And so how can we, um, point towards that while evangelizing because we, we kind of we we tend to just kind of make it into a sales pitch and so i don't know how to kind of make it more real i guess um i don't know if i can speak too much to the sales pitch because the person who's evangelizing whether in word or in deed if it's not true to them in their existence then they're only marketing mm-hmm. Right. Whereas a person for whom it's true is already compelling. Right. The person for whom it's true, whether they're whether it's by word or by deed or both, right? It's already compelling because they 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 act and behave with both con- conviction and humility at the same time. Right? Because because the humility is there because they don't view themselves as the source of the truth. Right. They, they, they're not they're not selling themselves as the truth. Right. So there's a humility that's there. But at the same time, the person for whom it's real. And that's that's why the early church. Is is ridiculous and amazing. Right. Like how, how did these nobodies literally like change the world? Right. It's because it was compelling. Right. It's because it was true. It was because there was a power in their spoke. It's like what they said about Christ where it says they marveled because they didn't know he was God yet, right? They said they marveled when he spoke because he spoke as one having authority and not like the people who were teaching them. Mm-hmm. He's reading the same scripture to them, right? Like it wasn't a new scripture, right? But it was, it was the authority. When a person takes on light, receives light, that person becomes light. That's why Christ says, I am is the light of the world. And then points at I am's children and says, you are the light of the world, right? It's to become that light. And that's why I think this conscience that he's saying um, is a light, right? Somebody actually said something connected. He says, if secular law is made up, then why would a Christian conscience rebuke us if we break it, if it's not based on Christ's truth? Precisely. The reason why Christians should have a pricked conscience towards the law 
about following it or not is because Christ said to submit ourselves to the authorities. However, always the law of Christ will come first. And so my conscience will not hurt me, right? My conscience will not be pricked if I follow God's law first, right? So for example, in California, they were considering a law at one point that a, a priest be forced to say um, uh, someone's confessions in the court of law if I have to, right? Um, it seemed like it was coming towards if there's abuse, if there's whatever, right? My conscience would not prick me if I refuse to comply, right? The, to me, the, sacra the sacrament is, is, is above it. So what I'm not saying is, is that the, the human law carries a special weight because it's human law, as much as saying that because Christ said, submit yourself to the authorities, right? That's the only reason why I care about the authorities. Otherwise, I could just say, who, who cares? Um, what are some daily practices for keeping a healthy conscience? Are they the same as those related to feeding the Holy Spirit within us? Yes, they are, right? Because the more you walk in light, the more clear you see, right? Or to how we spoke last week, the more I live healthily, the more sensitive I am to disease, right? My conscience will be so sensitive um, towards um, going, um, going wrong. Um, should we train our conscience on Christ's truth only? Absolutely, right? But not to presume that I, I know how to interpret it perfectly. But definitely, yes, that's why it's absolute truth first and foremost and only. Right. And then that that dictates to me how to behave towards God's self and, and others and, and things, right? As as Dorotheos uh, as Dorotheo said. Um I think there's one more. Uh, I think this is the only other one that I see here. Jesus said there'll be a tribulation on earth. Does this include the consequences of sins that we place ourselves into? Um Absolutely, because almost all tribulation in existence is a consequence of human behavior. Um, and the reason why I say almost is because God might individually, specifically chastise um, a child, right, whom he loves, he chastises children, um, that I might view as a tribulation, even if it's not really, right? But those that, I could say, comes from God. But wrong rather than using the word tribulation actual wrong is always caused um by sin that we collectively as humans place ourselves in whether individually collectively communally doesn't matter right um if we use up all the resources and run out and we're in tribulation that's that's because of us right um if we go to war. I mean, war doesn't happen to people. Like war, war is 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 initiated, right? So it, it will always be a result of of human sin, right? That God is not running around throwing tribulations at us. So most definitely, um, it is. Um, if our conscience is clouded by the fall, how can you distinguish a theoretical good conscience from evil thoughts justifying one's actions? Um, and that's exactly what Dorotheus was saying at the beginning of saying, and that's what the prophets are for, and then the law, and that now the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us is how, 
right? It's to, it's to take my thought and hold it against the ruler and say, where does, where does this fall? Right. And that's also where the spiritual guidance for sure comes in. Right. Of the examining of a thought um, to help keep my conscience clear. Right. Where the question can become like in my decision to do something, even if it's not an act that's intrinsically wrong. Am I asking how this affects my neighbor? Right. Is it is it loving towards all or just towards me? Right. Um, And then the standard to, to measure would be the gospel. So, um, and that's why holiness matters, right? Holiness is, um, is everything. I wanted to read, if there's another questions, uh, a quote that a good friend sent me in the chat. Let me find it because I really loved it. Um, if we don't behave as we believe, we will soon believe as we behave. Um, somebody sent me in the in the chat from Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who I don't know who that is, but that's like on point, right? That's completely on point, right? Is that we in not choosing and not developing a healthy conscience and choosing ourselves, we make how we behave the standard. We make it be the 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 we've made up the measuring stick. Alrighty. Um, next week will be, uh, I think, the fear of God or reverence of God. Um, and um, then it's Holy Week. Um, so there won't be any that week. And there will not be the one the week after. The week after Holy Week, um, I always do absolutely nothing, just straight up, um, where it's, <laughs> it's, it's our priest March break. Um, so uh, we'll resume uh, after that. Um, all right. Um, let us pray, and then uh, and then we can bezounce. Thank you guys for for participating in the uh, in the conversation. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Lord, make us ready to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It is not temptation, but from evil one in Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory for our Amen. Love of God the Father, grace and the God and Son, the communion, give to us with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all.